Welcome to episode 121 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and I want to talk about the T-Mobile for Business Analyst Summit. So, Anshul, you and I and Patrick Moorhead, our principal, attended in Seattle last week, and uh, it was about a day and a half uh, filled with a lot of information. And from my perspective, this was really T-Mobile for Business's coming out party. So they've been focused on putting a strategy together and assembling a portfolio over the last 18 or so months. I had three big uh, key takeaways. I don't want to steal any of your thunder, but let me just sort of share my three big takeaways. One, and um, I'm very impressed with the bench strength that the, um, the management team has pulled together. Um, Callie Field is the president of T-Mobile for Business. She was a former executive that led the customer care organization, um, but they've added um, some additional folks. Uh, their chief ne network officer is actually a former Ericsson um, fellow um, who had a hand in helping to write the, uh, the 5G new radio 3GPP standard. So that's quite impressive. And they've also recently hired earlier this year in January, February, a sales leader from Verizon. And I was uh, very impressed with his overall plan, uh, both a focus on uh, channel partners and systems integrators, um, as well as you know the you know traditional direct sales. And so, number one, you know, I really think the team has built the right bench strength to take it to the next level. Um, secondly, um, I was very impressed as John Saw spent some time with us taking us through some of the very innovative 5G use cases that are both enterprise and consumer focused. We've talked about Halo in the past. That's that remote piloted uh, micro rental um, that is um, running in Las Vegas that is powered by T-Mobile's uh, layer cake, uh, full spectrum footprint. And so John shared some additional use cases there. You may talk to some of the AR and VR ones, but then I think third, I was very impressed when their chief network officer was talking about the speed of their site upgrades. So um, they're uh, upgrading their sites to the tune of over a thousand a week. And, um, and I even heard um, that, that that number sometimes is peaking at the 1500 site level per week. And they're using lean methodology to do that. And they sort of call it a factory approach. So, you know, from my perspective, those are my big three takeaways, but, I, you know, I came, I came away feeling, you know, very impressed that they have the right plan and they have the right resources in place to really make a run at it. But what are your thoughts? Um, I, I think I pretty much agree with everything you said. Yeah. Um, I'd also add that um, in my conversations that I had with Ulf um, Edwardson, formerly Erickson, um, yep. he, um, he mentioned that uh, he was one of the people who coined the term uh, network slicing, which you and I are, are big fans of. Right. Um, and, and it, you know, there was definitely, um, you know, more talk about standalone, I think. That was a, a strong technological perspective. It, it almost felt like um, T-Mobile had kind of, it was almost talking about standalone in the past tense, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to a lot of its competitors like Verizon, um, who we'll talk, we'll be talking about later. Yeah. Um, but I also really agree with you that I feel like they've really pulled a 
strong team together, at least on the executive level. And I'm sure moving downward from there. And um, I just feel like they've really taken their time with T-Mobile for business um, in a way that did, didn't feel rushed. Like they were just trying to get a team together for the yeah. sake of having a team. Um, and it also seems like they're all really gelling well together and they, they, they seem very jovial with one another. And, you know, I think there's a lot of mutual respect within, within the executive leadership, which I think is very important for people to work together um, and to be successful. Um, and other than that, you know, there's, I'm, I'm very impressed with what I've seen, like to your point on the sales side, uh, as well as, you know, go to market. And um, I really think it's going to be interesting to see how this gets executed um, and, you know, what kind of customers and what kinds of big, uh, uh, you know, announcements will, will be coming down the pipe as they continue to move down this this path of, of building this 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 big part of their business, which previously just did not exist before. It, it didn't. Right. So they were very consumer focused, um, obviously. And that was one of my big criticisms very early on. You know, that was well before the, the merger with Sprint. I think the other thing to note is that at Mobile Congress Americas, they announced the next evolution of their advanced network services with a focus on industries and four key verticals. And, you know, taking that and then adding what they're doing with their, their TIOT initiative, I think the combination of those two elements um, is going to serve as a nice on-ramp for them into the enterprise and to differentiate themselves. But at the same time, they're going to have to convince mid-market and very large enterprise customers that they're credible because they haven't been in that in those key markets in the past. And, you know, I posed that to um, the chief marketing officer um, for T-Mobile for Business as well. And so I think you're going to see a lot of focus around, um, you know, um, you know, co-advertising and that sort of thing. And it's it's no secret that Alaska Airlines is a big customer and um, that that's very visible and out there today. But I think um, we'll begin to see more of those really, really big sort of logos, as I like to call them. But uh, yeah, I think it was uh, it was exciting. And I believe you and I and Patrick, uh, we may be collaborating on a Forbes article that captures some additional insights. But let's move to your uh, first topic this week. You did talk about the semiconductor export restrictions last week, but do you want to go into a little more detail this week? Yeah, so basically now the, the, the export restrictions are going into place. Um, and we're seeing the legal departments of companies like ASML sending out emails to their U.S. employees telling them that they need to cease uh, all, all activities and communications with specific Chinese customers. Mm -hmm. um, what's interesting is that um, other companies like Applied Materials have said that the export restrictions will prevent it from making roughly $400 million in the fourth quarter. Um, so that's a considerable amount of money that they will be losing due to these export restrictions and i have a feeling that this is going to result in some chip shortages as well um you know there's a chip company in china called ymtc uh, which is a leading supplier of memory technologies generally inexpensive memory and apple was planning to use that in the iphone i believe in china yeah. uh, and i believe now that they cannot so right. um there's there's a lot of things i think are are, are kind of um being uh, processed and 
uh, understood. For example, green card holders that are not U.S. citizens are still U.S. persons, and um, they have a decision to they have to make the decision of giving up their U.S. residency or U.S. person status or to keep their jobs in China. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of really interesting um, developments that are occurring as a result of this. Um, but my understanding is that right now, um, a lot of the Korean suppliers are getting a one-year reprieve um, so they can figure things out. Um, but the straight-up American companies supplying straight to Chinese factories and, and semiconductor manufacturers are, are getting cut off entirely. So okay. um, it's, it's, it's becoming more of a challenging atmosphere for a lot of these companies. Um, and I think that we're still going to, it's probably going to be six to 12 months until we fully realize the extent of what these restrictions will do. Um, but the one thing that has been made abundantly clear is that um, I think I said abundantly, but it may have been up, may have come out as abundantly um, <laughs> abundantly clear is that China will not be able to continue to gain ground on the U S or other countries when it comes to, semiconductor manufacturing mm-hmm. and, you know, building chips as a whole. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is a very clear indication of the Biden administration. And I assume other, you know, components of the U.S. security apparatus wanting to ensure that China does not have equal capabilities when it comes to uh, computing, specifically when it comes to supercomputing, because there were also a lot of restrictions that were put on for, you know, supercomputer size and, and computing density, uh, you know, types of chips that could be utilized in a supercomputer, right. what the definition of a supercomputer, supercomputer is. So all kinds of things like that. But I, I think right now um, we're just figuring this out and we're figuring more out this week. Um, but I think there's still a lot more that will more time that will take to shake out exactly how, how big of an impact this will have in the industry. And I unfortunately think it will increase prices yeah. um, and, and probably restrict supply, which could continue to, you know, create a uh, chip shortage. Right. You know, it's interesting. So th- this restriction on supercomputing platforms isn't anything new. It's been around for quite some time and there are obviously national security um, concerns around doing that. But yeah, you know, I've been doing a little bit of research here and, you know, China's position is that, yes, by, by restricting their ability to be able to participate in the supply chain, um, that will increase prices and also it will stifle innovation. I mean, in, in the latter is something that Huawei has been, you know, speaking to for the last, you know, couple of years, uh, especially when all of this started with the Trump administration, with the entity listing um, and the restrictions and, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, you know, I do agree with you. In in the short term, it's probably going to um, constrict uh, supply. It's probably going to increase, um, you know, bill of material costs. Um, will it stifle innovation? Um, that's yet to be determined. But um, but it's uh, it's the world that we live in. So <laughs> it it is what it is. But uh, let's move to my second topic this week, and I want to talk about reliance and. They made an announcement uh, just recently that they're teaming up with Ericsson and Nokia uh, to help build their uh, their 5G network. And what's interesting is that Reliance is they have aims and designs to build a 5G standalone network. 
in contrast to uh, Bharti Airtel, that is going down a non-standalone path for its 5G, for its initial 5G deployment. Um, they'll probably, you know, get to get to SA, you know, over time. But as I look at that and I sort of read between the lines, that that indicates to me, and you know, you just you know mentioned network slicing. You can only achieve network slicing in a standalone network when you match core with with RAN and transport and all that good stuff. Yep. And so clearly, from my perspective, what that indicates to me is that um, Reliance is going to definitely focus on enterprise services and the slicing opportunity um, because that's a huge monetization opportunity for them. And, you know, Barty, you know, and, and they're actually, they're going to spend an incredible amount of money doing that, man. It's like, I read like it's 2 trillion, um, is it rupees? I mean, I hope I'm not getting that, their denomination of currency incorrect there. No, it's, it's, it's correct. It's, it's very inflated. But yeah. So, I mean, that's an incredible number. Um, and certainly Reliance has the capability to do that as the largest carrier in India. But yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. But you know, their plans are to deliver India's first standalone network. And they're picking two great partners, in my opinion, with Ericsson and Nokia. But what are your thoughts? I think that this is a natural approach. I think, you know, when you look at some of the biggest carriers in the world, a lot of them are are dual sourcing Nokia and Ericsson. Yeah. And I think this is a natural progression. I do think that the approach that Barty Airtel is taking uh, is likely going to hurt them long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they're probably doing it for cost-saving reasons. Sure. Because, um, I mean, let's be honest, NSA was supposed to be like a baby step to right. SA, right? And, it, you know, when the, when the first, you know, 5G standard was created, there was no NSA. NSA was added to make it easier you know, kind of like, uh, you know how there's like an on-ramp, right? Like the yeah. on-ramp was steep and they tried to make it a little bit less steep, a little shallower on-ramp with NSA. Right. And as a result, you know, we're still struggling with NSA and, you know, it's first networks launched 2019 and we're in 2020. So it's, it's been three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could do better in my opinion, but I, I just think standalone is the right way to go. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when you look at what's going on with with Geo, they clearly understand the value of going with a clean new network. They did it with 4G. Yeah. And it seems like they're, you know, trying to repeat this strategy once again with 5G. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to pay dividends, especially in the enterprise applications. And as they try to, you know, start creating these network slices and offering them as services, I think they're going to monetize the network a lot more quickly than Airtel will. So yep. that's my opinion. Yeah, no, you and I are of the same opinion. And, you know, it's interesting too, because I believe that's going to allow Reliance to get into the private um, cellular networking game much, much more quickly when when other operators in India aren't as bullish on it. And so, and there's a lot of pushback from, from the operators in general around democratizing license spectrum like we've seen in the US with uh, Ongo um, because you know obviously they want to lock up all of that spectrum so they can monetize it. So there, there are a lot of interesting you know kind of um, things going on in the Indian market. Um, but it's going to be you know pop the popcorn. it's going to be fun to watch this and report back on it on future podcasts. But let's move to your second topic this week. You want to talk about charter 
and they've announced a new $50 internet and wireless bundle. Yeah, so Charter, as you know, has both a wireline and a wireless business now. Yeah. And they announced this new deal called um, this new deal called Spectrum One, which is fifty dollars a month for twelve months. So it's a promotionary deal, and it offers three hundred megabits of wireline, and um, it's it's basically a way for them to try and woo people back from fixed wireless home offers, which are fifty bucks or less. Yeah, and they they say that they're going to try to you know get customers back the problem is is that um they're not really talking about what happens after 12 months right. so uh this sounds very much like one of those cable promotion deals um that go up quite a bit uh the guys over at, the guys and gals over at fierce fierce wireless said that uh it was an 85 dollar a month if they're separately purchased so that's probably where where it'll go actually monica wrote this article but yeah. um you know i think that the article the, the article states that separately these services will be 85 dollars, and um you know as this as this deal is it's 50 bucks so it's it's a good deal it's almost half off yeah but um you know the question is how long does that last and do people want that because what verizon and you know verizon might be offering a promotionary deal but T-Mobile's offering 50 bucks a month, no contract, no specials. So yeah, this is still going to probably, I think, pull some customers. But I think that long-term, you know, they're going to just have to be competitive on price and service. And if they can't be, they're going to continue to lose customers as they have over the last, you know, year and a half or two years. So yeah, um, it's going to be very interesting to see. But it's interesting that this is, you know, creating more competition and offering consumers yeah. better price. Yeah, you know, the traditional cable companies, they've just been hammered over the years and, you know, losing subscribers left and right. And I didn't catch this news uh, this week. You know, we're we're recording a little bit late this week because, you know, I've been traveling so much. But I just have a quick question. So what what is the Internet service platform that they're offering? Is it is it is it standard cable? Yeah. OK, that's what I thought. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's so, just a new bundle. Yeah. So, you know, big deal. You know, you've got. You've got T-Mobile, you know, very aggressively promoting FWA, which they did claim. I didn't mention this earlier, but at the uh, the analyst event, they did claim that um, they, they're claiming now a, a nationwide FWA service, you know, with their low band build out. And so, you know, that's quite impressive. It's it's easy to provision. It's easy to set up to your point. Um, it's $50. There are no strings attached. Um, you can try it, I think, for 15 days. If you don't like it, um, you can cancel it, you know, no penalty. So, you know, hey, I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't blame Charter for, you know, for putting a bundle together, but they're kind of putting lipstick on a pig, you know, <laughs> with respect to the, uh, to the, uh, the cable internet service. But, you know, time will tell. But um, let's move to my third and final topic. And I want to talk about Verizon. And I know you've got a lot to weigh in here because you and I were talking about this last week, but they've announced um, their commercial 5G um, SA core. And so what, what they're doing is uh, they did announce that they're moving, they're beginning to move commercial traffic over. Um, this is a, a cloud platform. They call it Verizon Cloud Platform or VCP. And what, what Verizon states is that they're leveraging a containerized cloud native architecture specifically designed to, designed to support 
telecom workload, say that fast, you know, three times. And they're also um, stating that this is leveraging their extensive edification that they've built out that I've been critical of in the past because it seems to me they're edifying their network without really focusing on a use case, unlike some of their competitors like AT&T that have uh, paired Mac with uh, private networking um, to power use cases like manufacturing with General Motors. And so um, I'm going to leave it at that, but I, I know you want to weigh in on this. Yeah, I think it's, um, they say it's commercial, but it doesn't really feel like it's a commercial deployment. No, no. Um, it definitely feels like it's more of a, um, you know, a bespoke deployment. Mm. And I think when we actually see them giving a list of devices that are going to be compliant with their 5G SA core. Right. Um, and, or, you know, just being 5G SA compliant with their network, I think that's going to be when I really believe it. Because, you know, when T-Mobile started talking about Voner, they were like, okay, these devices can do Voner, right? Like, this is where we're doing, this is where you can actually yeah. test standalone. Yes. So yeah. until we start getting those kinds of um, commitments, I'm not really convinced. But... Um, it's good to hear that they're starting to talk about standalone because, you know, I think both AT&T and Verizon have, were initially very gung-ho about standalone and then started backing off it yep. once they realized their, their deployments uh, were going to be uh, dependent on their coverage. Um, so I think we are going to see a lot more talk about standalone next year uh, from AT&T and Verizon. Mm -hmm. And very likely it'll be in the second half, but they probably might even tee it up in the first half. Right. Um, but by then, I think T-Mobile will be, you know, fully standalone at that point, and they'll they'll be, a, you know, maybe a year or so behind. Yeah, you know, well, you know, by about the same time next year, T-Mobile should have their mid-band assets built out to support standalone. I call this racing stripes from Verizon standpoint. Um, they're wanting to get off the bench, and they're wanting to state, you know, something around SA, uh, just because you know T-Mobile has been there for so long. AT&T is going to be a little more um, conservative in, in my mind. And at the end of the day, um, Verizon is still building out its, its RAN to support C-band. And so, to, you know, to your point, it's like, yeah, you know, they, they've made an announcement here, but it's, I don't want to call it smoke and mirrors, but it's, it's, it's a baby step, you know, from, from my perspective. So any, any additional thought there before we move on to your topic, uh, your third no, I think I think I've uh, I've been critical of Verizon enough. You, you, yeah, you beat that horse enough. I have too. So let's let's move to your third and final topic. And um, you want to talk about Open Signal, and they've been measuring um, some of uh, the speeds on Verizon and AT and T's network as they build out their C band assets. So that's a that's a nice segue to to end uh, end the podcast. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, a little bit of a positive note. Yeah. Um, so. C-band, obviously Verizon and AT&T's bid on the first block, a block spectrum. So they're splitting that that first block together and they're obviously rolling it out very quickly. Um, but there was B block and C block. So T-Mobile won't have their, their C-band until much later, but they also don't need it. So yeah. uh, what we're seeing is OpenSignal reported that between March and September of this year, AT&T's um, 5G download speeds went up 35%, okay. while Verizon's went up 15%. So that kind of makes sense when you consider that um, Verizon already kind of started their C-band rollout 
in the beginning of this year. Mm-hmm. And AT&T kind of started really pushing the envelope in the middle of the year, let's say May, June. So uh, it makes sense that we would see AT&T see a bigger jump. Um, and that that's, I think, a component of AT&T rolling out its 3.45 as well as the C-band, that yeah. dual, dual rollout. Yeah. Um, and overall, they're saying that, you know, AT&T C-band uh, has increased in reach to hit over 30% of 5G readings for, for AT&T and then 50% for Verizon. So the coverage is actually improving, mm-hmm. um, but they're nowhere near um, where they where they should be or where they could be. Um, but it, it's quite clear that they're getting some very real improvements. Um, you know, if you look at the individual spectrum itself without any kind of carrier aggregation, um, both companies are, are getting over 100 megabits um, out of their their, their mid-band spectrum. AT&T is getting 112 megabits out of their 3.7 gigahertz while Verizon is getting 160, which makes sense because they have more. Um, yeah. it's, I, I think it's a 60-40 split. Right. Um, and yeah, it just, it's, it's to be expected. I think we've been t- teeing this up um, since the beginning of the year. Um, and I think, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, the, the, the year, we'll probably see a much more realistic um, landscape of how, what the competitive landscape is between T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T. Yeah. But the reality is they're all still lacking T-Mobile. And, um, you know, T-Mobile's network covers 70% of, of their, you know, um, 5G reading. So, mm-hmm. and they have the low band as well. So it's it's really impressive what T-Mobile has done. And it's great to see AT&T and Verizon both starting to catch up as we expect that they would. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll really see that manifest itself next year. I agree, my friend. Well, hey, it's been another great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Whale Tontac, and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great week, and please tune again next week.